Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Today is all about nutrition, and Dr. Furman is our guest. You may have heard of him. He is an internationally recognized expert on nutrition and natural healing, having penned several bestsellers, including the New York Times bestseller, Eat to Live, Super Immunity, The End of Dieting, God, I love the sound of that, The End of Diabetes, I know my mother-in-law loves the sound of that, the end of heart disease, as well as the Eat to Live cookbook. Now, here's a fascinating tidbit about Dr. Furman. He was a one-time world-class figure skater before he graduated from my alma mater, the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. He has helped thousands of people lose weight permanently. That sounds good. Reverse chronic disease, such as heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune, which is just an epidemic, chronic pain syndrome, including migraines, all using a nutrient-dense, plant-rich eating style that he calls the Nutritarian Diet. Dr. Furman is also the president of the Nutritional Research Foundation and is a frequent guest on the Dr. Oz Show, for which he serves on the Medical Advisory Board as well. Wow. Welcome, Dr. Furman. Super thrilled to have you with us today. Terrific. Great to be here and to talk to you today. So now let's start with what inspired you to make this jump from being a winning ice skater to becoming the health coach of America. Tell us about your journey. Hmm. You know, when I was in college, I was into health and eating right during my skating career, and I was reading a lot of books on health and nutrition. My father got me started with that interest. And as I started to pursue a career um, after my was winding down my skating career, I kind of, you know, because I wasn't prepared to go back to medical school because I didn't take those courses in my regular college um, curriculum. So then I, you know, so as I was in my mid-20s, I realized how exciting it would be to pursue a career in nutrition because people were, you know, most diseases are caused by what people ate. And I knew going to medical school was the right, was the way to go. So I basically quit everything, you know, resigned from my family's, you know, chain of shoe stores that I was helping them run and stopped. And I went back to school full time to go back to medical school. So I actually went to the postgraduate pre-med program at Columbia after college and then went back to University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine with the specific intention of pursuing a career as a specialist in in nutrition and using nutrition to help people get well. Because my expectation was that... um, even though the mainstream doctors wouldn't pursue this as a specialty, it would really give me tremendous satisfaction and reward to watch people get well. And my dreams have been, you know, realized a hundredfold over. I am so passionate and excited about, you know, the thousands, maybe even millions, you know, so many people who have changed their life and reversed their diseases and got well through this, through nutritional excellence. And I think it's just... um, yeah, it's it's just been, I, I would have never imagined I'd have the ability to reach so many people and, th- you know, through my PBS television shows, through books and things, mm-hmm. 
and it's been very, very exciting. These, these success stories of people who've lost 100 pounds, 200 pounds, 300 pounds, reversed their psoriasis, gotten rid of their ulcerative colitis or rheumatoid arthritis or lupus. P, you know, people who've gotten rid of, you know, people reversed their heart disease, reversed their diabetes. It's just so thrilling to watch people earn back their health. And also, I have I to mention, yeah, and, and the power of nutrition to give people the ability to not have fear and not have to worry about cancer and heart attacks and strokes and dementia and that we are not powerless. It's not predominantly genetic. It's not luck. And, we're, and we have mm-hmm. the power to control our health destiny. It's such a, a warm and almost a loving message to give people that those people who want control can take control of their health. So I think that, um, so I'm very, very excited about what I, what I do. No, it's a beautiful message and very empowering. You're absolutely right. Very empowering to know that we have control. There's a beautiful quote on your Facebook page. The doctor of the future will no longer treat the human frame with drugs, but rather will cure and prevent disease with nutrition. Thomas Edison, way back when. Not everyone buys that. You know, a lot of people believe that nutrition may be some part of it, but really, you know, you get older and you get diseased, or you have genetics. Well, my mother had it, or my father had it. Most conventional doctors, this is my own experience, and I've heard it over and over, you go into the doctor and you complain about something, and they say, well, gosh, you're over 40, you know, you're aging, it just, it just comes with aging. Do you really believe that nutrition can, can prevent and cure disease no matter what age and no matter what genetics we're born with? It depends on what disease you're talking about, so maybe we can be a little more specific and we can figure this out. Um, number one, there are some diseases, obviously, that are predominantly genetic, um, mm-hmm. and they're not as nutritionally um, based. And some people know, you know, are born with maybe a heart valve defect or something like that, or a right. hole in their heart, or they have um, a missing genetic enzyme that produces that, you know, makes a certain substance. So there, yes, there are definitely some diseases that are predominantly genetic, but you know, relative to what people suffer with. Those are relatively rare considering, you know, most, you know, by the time people are 70 years old, 90% of Americans have high blood pressure and heart disease and are taking medications for it. And I'm saying that there are populations around the world that eat more primitively, more natural food diets that have no heart disease in their population and no heart disease in their ancestors. And that when we see when people eat a diet of largely of whole natural plants, with you know less than a certain percent of animal products in their diet, let's say seven and a half percent or less, we see those mm-hmm. populations commonly referred to as blue zones around the world, where you have the right. most centenarians of people living to be over a hundred, and we virtually don't see heart disease occur in those populations. But in any case, here's the point: is that genetics do play a strong role in heart disease, but they only play a role, a strong role, when you eat unhealthfully. When you eat the Amer- standard American diet, everybody has heart disease, almost everybody. And when you eat a diet that's somewhat better than most people, let's say it has you know, not as many processed carbohydrates, white flour, sugar, maple syrup, and honey. Let's say you're cutting out the sweets. Let's say you're cutting your animal products down to like 15% of calories instead of 30% like most Americans eat. Well, then that diet style will produce heart disease in some people, but not in others. And genetics will play a strong role because it's still not ideal, but it's pretty good. 
See, with the with a standard American diet, everybody develops heart disease. And as we age, right. it's just that doctors say it's an inevitable consequence of aging because it's true. Everybody who eats the American diet develops heart disease. So genetics don't play a role, but they play a role in some are worse than others and get it earlier in life than others. But now, mm-hmm. if we look at populations eating largely natural plants, let's say with less than 7.5% of calories from animal products, so less than 5%, then we see heart disease, atherosclerosis, obstructions reverse themselves and normalize. Then we see blood pressure come back to normal invariably, cholesterol come down dramatically, and populations that eat diets like that don't see the occurrence of any heart disease regardless of a person's genetics. So you could say um, we, we permissively allow these genetically these diseases to occur and certainly those with worse genetics will have the more severe forms of those diseases but even those people with this with the worst genetics wouldn't likely even get those illnesses if they ate an ideal diet so it's a complicated question and we looked at high, high um, heart disease and we can look at cancer you could say well what about children who get cancer how could that be diet style right. Right. if a person is getting cancer at the age of four years old or something and yeah, we have data that shows that the, what a mother eats all through her life, before she even conceives a baby, um, her, that affects her child's, the number one cause of death in children of, of um, non-accidental death is acute blastocytic leukemia. And it's caused by the right. consumption of luncheon meats and processed meats and lack of green vegetables and a poor diet by the mother even before conception. So diets affect, so, and what you eat affects genes and epigenetic changes occur to the genes and we damage the genes by the poor diet we eat earlier in life. So we're even finding that nutrition is affecting genetics more than genetics affects nutrition, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Now you've coined the phrase a nutritarian diet. Tell us about that. What's a nutritarian diet? Well, the word nutritarian means rich in nutrients or, you know, we want to have a diet have all the nutrients in the variety and the amount that humans need to maximize their health and lifespan. And a nutritarian diet is specifically designed to encompass all the, nutri- all the nutrients, the micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, the various factors humans need to maximize their health, looking at every aspect that can affect human longevity. So it's very comprehensive in its approach. And besides being nutritionally adequate, and modestly and, and, and attention is paid not to exceed our need for calories because caloric excess shortens lifespan. So essentially a major principle of a nutritarian diet is having micronutrient adequacy in an environment which in a, in a low caloric or, or an environment with no caloric excess. We can't exceed our caloric requirements. That's going to shorten lifespan too. So we've got to have a diet that gives you a lot of micronutrient bang for, per caloric buck. On the other hand, the nutritarian diet also is hormonally favorable. In other words, we don't want to eat too much animal products in the diet. We want to keep that limited because too many animal products can raise a hormone called IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor 1, which in higher amounts promotes cancer and promotes aging. And is predominantly, and that's why we know high-protein diets um, are dangerous and irresponsible and, and deadly in that they promote cancer. And, then the, problem, and the difficulty here is that they're popular there's paleo diets, there's ketogenic diets, there's you know Atkins. I was just Atkins about to ask you. Yes, yeah, so so how these, do you they're actually with this, yeah with this new fad of completely sort of animal dominant product diets like the keto and the paleo. Right. So exactly. So what I'm saying is those are people who advocate or follow those diets are um, 
ill-informed and irresponsible, and dan- it's dangerous advice to actually give people nutritional advice that's going to shorten people's lives. I mean, we could give people a Twinkie diet, nothing but Twinkies, oh, right. and they may lose some weight and may get sick of eating Twinkies and only consume 1,000 calories and maybe even drop some weight. Maybe, maybe their triglycerides will look better. Maybe their weight will go down a little bit, but over, if we follow them for 20 years, they're going to be die. They're going to be dying of cancer with a Twinkie diet. And here's the issue here. It's not just that animal products don't have phytochemicals and antioxidants to prevent cancer, not that not just so low in fiber, not that they're too concentrated in animal protein, but they fuel the growth of certain types of bacteria in the, in the gut that promote diabetes and promote inflammation and promote kidney damage and brain damage. So when we overeat animal products, we damage ourselves in a, in a, a whole in a lot of different ways, and we have to give more credence to the studies that go on for many years, that use large numbers of people, go on for 15 to 25 years, and use hard endpoints like death. So we can see, well, that paleo diet sounds good, that hypothesis sounds reasonable, but let's see if we look at people eating that diet for 20 years, what happens? Right. If, you know, this, this hypothesis, ketogenic, sounds good, but what happens if we look at people following that diet for 20 years? What happens? How much, what's their death rate? What's their heart attack rate? What's their cancer rate? You know, and that's, where we, that's when these studies are looked at. We see that, you know, let, let's look at one study. Here's a study published in 2014, um, which followed 6,000 people for 18 years. They were 50 to 65 when they began the study. And after the, over the 18 years, those people eating higher amounts of animal products had a 400% increased risk of cancer and a 75% increased risk of overall death over that 18-year period. And so this is really dangerous. And that level of high amounts of anaproxis, yeah, it was still lower than a paleo diet. A paleo diet was, and these were, of course, low-sugar, low-carbohydrates diets compared to one that was 10% of calories from animal products or less than 30% or more. And the average American eats about 33%, about a third of their diets from animal product calories. And, and that's one study. And you could say, okay, we don't, we're not going to put all our eggs into, the, into one back. We can't just look at one study. Right. But here's the thing. If we look at every study that goes long-term and we proportion the amount of animal products eaten as a percent of total calories, and whether we look at cardiovascular deaths or cancer deaths, when we look at heart endpoints like death as the endpoint, we always see earlier death rates, higher death rates, more cancers, more heart attacks. There's another study published in 2010 with 144,000 people followed for more than 20 years, showing a 46% increase risk of overall death in those comparing higher animal products compared to lower amounts. So what I'm saying here that the evidence is overwhelming. It's accepted by nutritional scientists worldwide. It's really a shame that we have people who are, you know, off the deep end, so to speak, with different ideas. And they're all over the place in the dietary community. But I have to say that more than 90% of the nutritional scientists that are non-commercially affiliated in the world today agree that we have to eat more unrefined plant foods like green vegetables and beans and onions and mushrooms and berries. And we have to eat more nuts and seeds and that we have to restrict oil and sugar and salt. And we have to restrict the amount of animal products because diets higher and animal products are, are cancer-promoting. And I think this, those three statements... One, more plant foods. Two, less high glycemic carbohydrates like white flour and sugar. And three, less animal products. I think those three basic principles are accepted by most um, nutritional scientists today that are not commercially affiliated. Describe your typical day. What does Dr. Furman eat? What do you have for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks? What can we look forward to emulating in terms of what you do? I don't eat the same thing every day, and I don't. Um, 
and I basically don't snack. When I'm hungry, I eat a meal. So if I wake up and I'm not hungry, I don't eat. If I'm hungry, I'll eat, you know. So in any case, um, I, m- I might want to preface that and say that your body most effectively detoxifies and heals and repairs in the non-feeding state. So that means that the longer you live when you're not eating or not digesting, the longer you're going to live. And a recent study, for example, took the women who ate the same diet and the same amount of calories. They, all the women in the study all had breast cancer. They followed them for 10 years. And they found that those who had a 13-hour window between the finish of, brec- of dinner to the start of breakfast had 26% um, lower rate of recurrence of breast cancer and lower death of breast cancer. The point I'm making is that, really? that, that eating frequently shortens your lifespan. And one, besides the over-reliance um, on animal protein as a source of calories, the second biggest mistake most people make is eating frequently, which shortens their lifespan. Right? So, um, so we want to eat when we're hungry, and if we eat right, and my, one of my contributions to the field of nutritional science is to show that when people increase the, the caloric density, excuse me, when they increase the micronutrient density of their diet, when they consume more micronutrients and antioxidants and phytochemicals, their desire to overeat goes down. Their symptoms of toxic hunger diminish. They're not fatigued and shaky and weak and stomach cramping and headache. They don't feel the necessity to eat so much and to eat so frequently. It connects them with their instinctual drive to eat the right amount of calories, and they naturally lose weight. So eating a diet higher in micronutrients and fiber makes it easier to lose weight, makes it almost impossible to be overweight because you don't desire to eat as much food anymore. So I just wanted to say that before you say what, what I eat or how I snack, I want to say I'm trying not to eat late at night. I'm trying not to snack. I want to go to bed at you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night on an empty stomach. So in general, you know, I'm trying not to eat after 7 o'clock at night. We want to have that, that window of not eating. I'm trying not to snack. And here's the thing. And here's my biggest contribution to the field of nutritional science and the studies I've published, is that we show that as people increase the nutritional quality of what they're eating, as they eat more micronutrients, their appetite goes down, they lose that toxic hunger, the fatigue between meals, the shakiness, the headaches, the stomach cramping, the desire to overeat and continually eat. They get in touch instinctually with the true amount of calories they need. They don't want to overeat anymore or eat that frequently. So I'm saying that the reason diets fail, the reason why people get overweight, is because they're not eating a diet that's nutritious enough. It's not just cutting back on calories. You can't cut back on calories if you're feeling sick when you do so, and you feel like you always are hungry and always want to eat more food. So, the, so people have to. So that's one of the secrets here. And so what I do is I eat a, a diet rich in nutrients and rich in these foods I call G bombs. G bombs. G B O M B S. Greens beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. And I'm mentioning these foods right now because they've been shown in scientific studies to have very powerful effects to fight cancer. So I try to eat them in my daily diet. Like for breakfast, if I'm having some steel-cut oats, I'll put a, you know, a cup of wild blueberries on there, wild frozen blueberries, and I'll throw in a tablespoon of flax seeds, maybe a tablespoon of chia seeds, maybe a tablespoon of hemp seeds, you know, so, I'll, so that maybe a little soy milk. So I'll have my fruit my sin, my seed, little steel cut oats because I know that those seeds prevent increased lifespan. Then for lunch, I'll try to usually have a big salad. With a, I'll put some raw cruciferous and raw onion or raw scallion on there. Like I'll put arugula or a little kale or watercress, lettuce, you know, tomatoes, shredded red onion or scallion on there. So I'll make a nice salad. 
and I'll, and I'll perp- intentionally put some cabbage or arugula or kale in there because I want to use the raw cruciferous because that raw green you know, has, has very powerful anti-cancer effects. And then I want to use a nut-based dressing because the nuts and seeds enhance the absorption of the phytochemicals to enhance human lifespan. So maybe I'll make a dressing by blending an orange with some toasted sesame seeds and cashews and some blood orange vinegar and lemon. Or maybe I'll make some tomato sauce with almonds and sunflower seeds and raisins and fig vinegar or something. So I'll make a delicious dressing for it. And maybe I'll have a yeah, bowl I mean, of vegetable bean soup, you know, maybe a, a soup and maybe I'll have a piece of fruit like a mango or, or, some, or a nectarine or something. But, but that vegetable bean soup I usually make on the weekends. And I'll make a big pot of soup with a vegetable juice base, like a carrot, celery, tomato base. And I'll put a lot of beans and lentils in there and mushrooms and things like that, making it with spices and herbs and make a delicious soup. And then maybe for dinner, which I'm trying to eat lighter for dinner and earlier for dinner, maybe I'll have like, I'll throw some vegetables in a wok, like, um, like broccoli and snow pea pods and baby corn and water chestnuts and, and hearts of palm and, you know, shredded cabbage and, sh- and straw mushrooms and, and shiitake mushrooms. I'll cut up some mixed vegetables, you know, and, and I'll throw in the pot with a quarter cup of water and maybe even make a sauce by putting maybe a, a date with some lemongrass paste and some turmeric and some peanut butter and a little hemp seeds and I'll whip that together into a sauce with some soy milk or something or hemp milk and I'll make, I'll, I'll make this little spicy, sweet peanut buttery sauce and I'll throw it on top of the wok vegetables and maybe I'll just have that you know, and now it's summertime I may have had like some organic corn or some vegetables I grew in my garden or some zucchini or, or carrots or, some, or stuff I grew in my backyard you know, and as soon as I actually eat in the backyard I'll go in the backyard and I'll eat some food right out of the garden you know, and then I'll have maybe a dessert maybe I'll have a piece of fruit or maybe I'll have some um, from ice cream, you know, make some delicious ice cream by taking a frozen banana and whipping it with a few macadamia nuts, some really organic um, ground vanilla bean and a little splash of hemp milk or something and whip that into a delicious banana ice cream and have that, you know, so I'll have something light for dessert, you know, or, or a piece of fruit or some, um, but, I, but I have these delicious recipes that make eating healthy really great. And I, I personally um, don't eat animal products in my house um, except on rare occasions. So I'm mostly a vegan at home, and if I ever have an animal product, it's, it's rare. It's rarely, you know, so it's not a it's not a typical part of my diet. So even though I allow people to have animal products in small amounts once or twice a week, I probably only have something like that, you know, once or twice a month, not really once or twice a week. I'm mostly on a, you know, mostly sticking to plants. I feel more comfortable, and I think it maximizes human lifespan. Most likely to push the envelope of human lifespan to restrict animal products even more. That's good to know. Now, you're on a mission to change the way America eats, and so much of the chat we've had today, you've given us tips and insights already, you know, add more vegetables, eat fresh, eat variety. But change is hard, Dr. Furman. Someone who's been living on those cheesy pizzas and those in-and-out burgers or those commercials you watch on TV of, of these huge succulent burgers of five layers of meat and cheese dripping, it's hard. It's hard to change. Plus, most people complain they don't have time. Now, you've been helping thousands or, like you said, maybe millions of patients. Give us some tips on those of our listeners that say, you know, I'm committed. I want to make the change, but I'm having a really hard time. What are some of the tips that have actually worked? Some insights into how can someone change from the American sad diet to eating more of a nutritarian diet? Well, you know, you gave me a good feed-in to plug one of my books. Let me give you an example. Um, I have a book called The Eat to Live Quick and Easy Cookbook. 
It has recipes that are taste great, but they're really quick and easy to make. And it's available in bookstores. It's available in Costco. You know, it's this, and so it's. And we'll put it on our thing. heel circle shop as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but the, on the other thing, I'm going to give you some tips and things like that. But on the other hand, you know, junk food and processed foods are highly addicting, and most yes. people don't don't commit don't they don't stop cigarettes that easily. They have a lot of trouble stopping cigarettes. They don't stop snorting cocaine. They don't stop drinking alcohol that easily. You know, people are addicted to their bad habits. And it takes, you know, it's going to take more than just listening to this podcast to change most of them. In other words, the information will set them free, but they have to work more to get it. It's not as easy as they think. And I'm strongly suggesting that a person, you know, really studies one of my books that talks about get, breaking free of food addiction and emotional eating habits, like, like the end of dieting. Would be, a good, would be a good recommendation for people who have that issue. And when people come to my getaways or my events, you know, and they read books and they work, a large percent of these people don't have problems doing this because they're so well educated into the nature of food addictions, how to get rid of emotional eating. And, and of course, you start, the, the, you know, we can give people how to start. This, and, and some people, by the way, just to throw this in there too, some people don't do well if they ease into it. Because they're, it's like trying to cut back on smoking, and they smoking still just wants them to eat a little bit of potato chips, just want them to eat more potato chips, a little bit of ice cream, they want more ice cream, mm-hmm. a little bit of cigarettes, they want more cigarettes. It's better for most, some people, it's better for the whole family and their whole, they do it as a unit, clean out the house, garbage their food, start from scratch, get one of my basic prep books like the 10 and 20, cook, you know, 10 and 20 um, quick start guide and just let me make the decisions for you. Let, let Dr. Furman tell you what to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Don't make any decisions because the decisions that you made in the past didn't work. You're still, 100, you're still 50 right. pounds overweight. You know, right. Let me make those choices. Do it 100%. See that you get the 20 pounds off in the first month. You know, watch the results happen. And maybe as you're doing that, you'll start learning and you'll start embracing this and doing it more because nothing helps like getting great results. But what I'm saying right now, this is a knowledge-based program. And the person has to become an expert in human nutrition. They should have been learning this in grade school, in colleges, in professional schools, in medical schools. And we learn nothing about it. should be reading, writing, and arithmetic and nutritional science. And they've got to learn a lot about how these, how these foods are so addicting and how to break the addictions. So back to the original question is that they have to make a soup on the weekend to make a big pot of soup, a vegetable bean soup. And they can put that big pot of soup into their refrigerator. You know, the whole pot can go in on the top shelf. And the next morning when it cools down, they can put it into like seven different containers. So they can take it to work with them every day. And the most important thing to start is to change your lunch. Because you're out of the house, you're tempted with other foods around you, and your lunch yeah. should be the biggest meal of the day. And you should have a big salad with some nuts and seeds. And you should have a piece of fresh fruit. And you should have a big and nice bowl of vegetable bean soup. That should be your lunch. Lunch is easy to change. And, you, and you, all you had to do was make a salad dressing on Wednesday and Sunday nights to bring a salad, to make two salad dressings. I mean, one, one salad dressing lasts for three days, and you make another salad dressing by blending it in the blender for another three days. And then you made the soup on the weekend. It's made for the whole week. You can just grab some vegetables, throw it's not hard to do. Breakfast is making some, could be a million different things, a smoothie, some fruit, some steel, some oatmeal with some berries and nuts in it. I mean, it's so easy to do. And so I think the starting point is just for our whole population across the United States to eat a healthy breakfast and a healthy lunch. It's not that difficult to do. And then say, well, okay, now I'm going to, I'm going to eat a healthy breakfast and a healthy lunch, and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to add on a light dinner. A healthy breakfast, right. a healthy lunch, and a light dinner. And this is not that hard to do. You know? and, and don't think of what you're going to lose. Think of what you're going to gain right now. And then while you're doing this, start to educate yourself, learn the delicious recipes, 
learn the tech, learn the cooking techniques. Look at how easy I can whip up a dinner. Like I can throw maybe some broccoli, you know, um, you know, I even, I even discussed it. I can throw some things in a pot. I can make an ice cream dessert. I can make, you know, in other words, I can do this very, very easily and quickly. I think it's, you're right. I think it's hard when your pantry is stocked with addictive foods. At least for me, that's what I realized. I mean, I did a almost, gosh, 14 months of no sugar, no corn, no soy, no dairy, no gluten, uh, no packaged foods. And it didn't work for the first month until I cleared out the pantry and I told the family you're all going to suffer with me and that's that's when I could get through the program and not give in to cravings because it is hard it is hard if there is a delicious chocolate chip cookie lying no matter how much you eat that that little craving kicks in and you're you find yourself walking like a zombie into the pantry and standing there and to your point when you deprive yourself not eating one cookie but now eating three cookies because psychologically I'm depriving myself. So well, this, these foods are designed to be they're designed to be addicting. You like you don't go to get off are. alcohol like, like you don't drive to a bar to try to get off alcohol. You know you you've got to have your your environment is very very important what you're saying of course exactly that's true. exactly yeah. well let's talk allergies because we're sitting in allergy season and you've you've written some some really insightful stuff on seasonal allergies. Why do we have an epidemic and you you've got the six step program could you share a little bit about that for our listeners? Well, first of all, you know the immune system across America is shot. I mean, people, you know, we can say that everybody gets, you know, even though our population all gets heart attacks, um, if you live long enough, you get cancer too. In other words, they get, it's a sickly population. And, uh, and the sickly population with the immune system shot makes them prone to infection and allergies and every little, and food intolerances and, just, and people are born with all kinds of allergies. And been, but we show that over time, as people improve the nutritional status of their diet and we measure the nutrient levels in their tissues, even the phytochemical scores in their tissues go up, their allergies improve. But the problem with allergies is it takes a long time to get them to reverse themselves so that they might feel a little better after a year, but it really takes two solid years of healthy eating to see a significant improvement in these allergies. So it's not something like, it's funny how blood pressure can go down in a month. Your cholesterol can go down in six weeks. Your diabetes could be totally gone in three months. You could be non-diabetic. You could lose 50 pounds in the first four months in this program, but your allergies are still going to be there. You know, so it takes more time to, to build the immune system. And we measure nutrient levels in the tissues. It takes about six months to get those nutrient levels high enough to where a person on a nutritarian diet would be if they eat this way for years. So the immune system is a little slower to come around, but you know, people got to start somewhere, you know, so I, I, have a, I have the people start usually by having a glass of vegetable juice each day to help to build those nutrients up. They can, they can have a, uh, we give it one third, one third, one third, which means one third some green cruciferous like kale and bok choy and cabbage, and one third like carrot, tomato and beet, and one third something more benign like lettuce, um, cucumber, celery, pepper. You know, and we have this glass of vegetable juice just to flood the body with phytochemicals. So it's the same basic nutritarian diet. Um, of course, you know, we're avoiding their allergies and we're giving them the, the high vegetable intake. And then over time, what we can do is we can evaluate which of their allergies are not so bad and we can give them microscopic amounts of those foods orally 
you know, almost like an oral, oral, oral tolerance therapy, like you know, an allergist can do this as well. But we do see the, uh, even with people with hay fever and their asthma, their, their hay fever, just two years later, they just don't have hay fever anymore in most cases, you know. Wow, wow. Now that's, you, you got my attention with something. End diabetes in three months? Tell me about that one. Actually, I published a study where I'm doing a, a, a randomized controlled trial in a Boston hospital starting shortly. But um, yes, we did a pilot study. But I've, I've, you know I've been treating thousands of patients for the last 25 years, and people come mm-hmm. to me from all over the world with diabetes. And yes, and I have a book called The End of Diabetes, and that more than 90% of the diabetics get rid of their type 2 diabetics within three months. They're not diabetic anymore. That doesn't mean that they don't need medication. They have sugars that are in the normal range. Should they gain the weight back and eat poorly in the future? They still have that tendency to develop diabetes, but they don't have diabetes. And, that's, and you know what? I'm, I'm saying that people need to have that happen because the drugs we use for diabetes accelerate people's death. And it gives them Absolutely. permission to keep eating poorly. We've got to get them to change their habits. And uh, believe it or not, I even have a few type 1s who are like young children between like 4 and 7 years old, type 1 diabetics, a few of them who reverse their diabetes and become non-diabetic as well because we caught them so early on in the process and got them eating a diet so nutritionally rich that the body fixed itself and the autoimmune phenomenon ended. Um, and, the, and the beta cells over time started, kept working and started to come back and work again. And their, and their antibodies, the beta cell antibodies eventually went down and came normalized with time. So even though type 1 diabetes is not generally reversible, especially when a person has it for years, it's still important for the type 1 diabetics to eat a nutritarian diet because they're at high risk of dying of heart attacks and strokes and they age more rapidly because the American diet is so deadly Mixed with diabetes and their insulin needs, a type 1 will only need about, well, about a third as much insulin or, or two-thirds less insulin than a type 1 who's eating a, a more standard you know, um, recommendations. And it's the excess insulin I'm claiming is so damaging to shorten the lifespan of these type 1s. So what I'm saying right now is that the conventional care of diabetics by conventional physicians is barbaric. It's dangerous. They control their sugars with excessive amounts of insulin and excessive amounts of medication, and they're not treating these people with a diet that's, 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 that's careful enough. They're not getting these people eating a diet that's careful. They don't need as much drugs and don't need as much insulin, and even for the type 1s. And is, is it the nutritarian diet, or is there anything different or anything special in the program for diabetics? Well, the difference in the the difference for the diabetic diets, we might be taking, you know, we might be a little stricter in not allowing them dried fruit, you know, or minimal amounts of dried fruit. Um, okay. And you know, white potato it might be, and sweet potato might be more restricted, more beans. We might, you know, okay. not, you know, fruit juice. So there's a, a, a few small differences just to help so people on there. Small optimizations. Small minor gotcha. adjustments. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Your latest program is Eat to Live. Tell us a little bit about that, and who is that for? You mean my program on PBS? My book, Eat to Live, was first yes, published in 2004, but, my, but I have a show on television now called Eat to Live, yes. using that same name, and also I have a cookbook, you know, the Eat to Live Quick and Easy Cookbook. Yeah, so we just pulled that name back, because that's my best-selling book, it was called Eat to Live, which my revised version was in 2011, and this show is to really show people that conventional use of medications, like high blood pressure medications and cholesterol-owning drugs, do not protect people adequately, and that if the people really knew the dangers of these medications, that they knew that, the, for example, statins can cause dementia and cause weight gain and diabetes and can increase risk of invasive breast cancer, and that even the cholesterol, even the blood pressure medications can double your risk of breast cancer, for example, taken for 10 years or more. And some studies indicate that, obviously. Wow. 
Well, my point is that if people really knew how ineffective these drugs were, and pushing your diastolic blood pressure with medication down that low could increase risk of sudden cardiac death and irregular heartbeats. And the point I'm making here is that millions of more people will embrace a nutritarian diet or an excellent diet to reverse the disease if they knew how dangerous the drug approach would be. And that's what I'm seeing with this television show. I put it out there. I'm giving people informed consent where they can really see what's, you know, the, the options here. And they can see that food is a hundred times more effective at preventing heart attacks and really give people the information they need to, to get well. You know, and the point is, is that if people knew that nutritional excellence was a hundred times more effective at reversing disease, at preventing future heart attacks and strokes, you know, we we'll find that people would do this and they can know they can get off their dangerous medications, get off their drugs for blood pressure, cholesterol, and diabetes and get well again and be protected and never have a heart attack or a stroke. It's like if you're listening to this, I'm saying, raise your hand if you want never to have a heart attack and never to have a stroke because it's possible for you to achieve that parameter, but you're not going to achieve that by taking medications. You're only going to achieve that because you earn a normal blood pressure without medications. You earn, you get your body weight back to normal. You earn a normal cholesterol without medications. You earn normal glucose parameters without medications. Then you're normally protected and you can do it. This is not hard to do and doctors just aren't giving people this information. That's what's so criminal. They're not. In fact, not only are they not giving the information, it's the opposite. They're prescribing the very medicines that are causing the issues. Um, I've interviewed some very interesting patients who have had severe outcomes, severe crises of these very simple painkillers, the NSAIDs that they've been on. So I have a question for you. One, why do the doctors continue to prescribe horrific pills instead of the, the, the delicious variety of nutritionally packed vegetables and fruits? And second of all, is there a document where someone can go and say, okay, tell me, this is the pill I'm taking, what are the negative results? Because, of course, yes, we know that there's disclaimers on these pills, but who can interpret that? It's all legal ease, right? I feel like we need a document or we need a site, and I'm happy to take this initiative on, where we take the top 50 or 100 prescribed pills and an easy-to-understand lingo we explain what the negative implications are of those medications so people are just better informed, they're better aware. Maybe. It may be helpful, you know, but, but you know, that's what in my book, The End of Heart Disease, for example, I'll go into how to reverse your heart disease with nutrition, exactly what to do, mm-hmm. exactly what to eat at each meal. But I'll also say why you shouldn't take angioplasty. Why well, bypass surgeon angioplasty are not indicated for stable coronary artery disease, only for emergencies. And I'll go into the side effects of the medications and why they're so dangerous, because then people seeing in the same place, they're getting properly informed about why they should not take the drug or the, or the, or the, or the invasive cardio, cardiac procedure and why they should do this with food instead. And they're seeing the drawbacks of that, the studies on that, on the, on the, natu- on the natural approach and the studies on the drug or the surgical approach. And they can see the rate of death rate, the future benefits and, dis- and disadvantages, and they can put it together and make a good decision. The same thing, for example, in the book, The End of Diabetes, I go through the diabetic medications and, why, and the dangers of those with the effects and how you do to get rid of your diabetes without the medication. So I think that I've kind of covered that in my work and that's, you know, I'm giving people that, that kind of information. And just a site where we just gave the dangers of the drugs, they wouldn't really, they don't see an option. If they have lupus or they have um, high blood pressure or they have diabetes, they don't see, no matter how dangerous the drug is, 
there's no option other than using the drug. So the, the, the reason why the effects of, the, of how bad these side effects of drugs are falls on deaf ears because people don't see they have other, any other options and doctors don't see they have any other options. So the answer to that part of the question is that doctors are not trained in this. They don't really embrace it. They don't think people are going to make the change. They don't, they don't really know how to do it in their practice. They can write a prescription in a minute, hand it to the patient, but they don't have to spend there an hour explaining how the nutritional protocols work. They don't have an incorporated group classes and cooking classes and, and have their diabetics come for an hour every Wednesday night and to talk about how they can reverse the diabetes. It's, it's not really, they haven't had the art or the science or the training how to incorporate this effectively into their, into their modality in which they make a living yet. So it's, but doctors are doing it. It's a, it's a, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine is a growing specialty, and not, it's not that all doctors aren't doing this. Doctors are being trained in this, and more and more doctors are doing this all the time. But, but you're right, the vast majority of most physicians are, are completely blind when it comes to this mo- modality. Mm, so true, which is why we have to really appreciate and honor doctors like yourself that have dedicated their entire life to really spreading the the message about the importance of food and fruits and nutrition and lifestyle to healing. Uh, What is the one piece of advice you want to leave with our listeners today in terms of what is the one thing you want every one of us to start doing? Something small and simple that's that's really going to help put us on the path to health. Well, the two things to summarize. The first thing is, is don't be satisfied with being sick and taking drugs. And number two, don't underestimate the miraculous self-healing capacity of the human body. People can get well from incredibly severe illnesses through nutritional excellence. And the third, the answer to your question about what's the little tip, it's this mixing a few cooked vegetables, a few things that are cooked with a few things that are raw maximizes anti-cancer effects. And the two, the raw things are the green cruciferous like kale or collards or bok choy or cabbage, have some of that raw arugula or watercress, have some of that raw every day with some raw onion or scallion. And then even just a little bit is protective. Have some of that raw every day and then have a little bit of cooked bean or cooked mushroom every day. So cooked bean or cooked mushroom because that's tremendously protective against cancer and builds the proper microbiome that adheres to the villi. And this combination of the raw green with the raw onion with the cooked bean and the cooked mushroom has, gives us builds you a certain microflora that makes you live longer and has such beneficial health effects. So that kind of like wraps it up with the, like the little longevity secret at the end. That's great. Well, you heard it all here in terms of what you can do starting today to live longer, healthier, and happier. Dr. Furman, thank you so much for, for all that you do for your insights. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Rena, and good luck to you, of course, and great health to you and all your listeners. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.